WATD presents The People's Truth, a show dedicated to bringing communities together and keeping the truth alive. Join us each week as we shine the light of justice on topics, people, and local businesses that highlight the real people's truth. Here is your host, Benny Rabbi. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to 95.9 FM WATD. Your host, Benny Rabbi, here with you for another episode of The People's Truth. Oh, yes, and we've got quite a show lined up for you tonight. Matter of fact, I'm going to introduce very quickly to the show, good afternoon, good evening to our usual co-host, Jay Karami. Jay, welcome back this week, my friend. Ben, good to be back. I'm so excited. This is such a great show. But that weather report, it just, it got me in the gut. And uh, I'm, I'm done with, with winter. Yeah. I'm already over it. Just yeah. started. What are you talking about? It just uh, started. That's right. And that is I want the, to be a snowbird and be down in Florida. <laughs> Careful what you wish for, bud. And the other voice you heard on the other side of the counter, our special guest co-host tonight, Tony LaGreca. Tony, welcome back. Thank you, Ben. I'm very excited to be here. We have Mike Dempsey, who's, <clears throat> some people might not know who Mike is, but He's a very interesting gentleman who I met about two months ago, and he's got a story that beyond all stories, uh, he can he can he was in the one of the World Trade Towers on 9/11, and he was also in Las Vegas a few 15 years later for the mass shooting, and he was in the uh, Mandalay Bay Hotel, and he just has a story beyond stories. And when he told me about how it went down. I was just dumbfounded. Wow. Welcome, Mike. Wow. Well, yeah, Mike, welcome to the program, sir. Mike Dempsey, the one and the only. Welcome to the People's Truth. I appreciate being on, and Tony's a great guy, and uh, Tony's like-minded like me. I think we're both resilient in our own ways, and I'm either lucky or unlucky, but I, I consider myself lucky. I think there's always a journey you take through life, and uh, it's what you do with it, and we're all both blessed all to be here and uh, got to pay it forward. Absolutely. Yeah, one thing about Mike is, uh, <clears throat> is he says he uh, takes it forward. And uh, June 5th, I think it is, he's going to be fighting Jerry Cooney, the great white hope of the uh, of the 1960s to fight Muhammad Ali. Uh, it's a <clears throat> one of those kind of fights where they're trying to raise some money. And I'm um, looking forward to seeing if Mike can dance like Muhammad. He's going to oh, need to he's... dance. He's old, even though Jerry's an old dude, he's still got... <laughs> I'm sure he's got a great punch. So, so you're yeah, the body. <laughs> I'm gonna wear a rib protector, I think, just to make sure I don't. Uh, as they yeah. say, sometimes uh, charity hurts. I remember that line in Rocky Three when uh, Thunderlips Hulk Hogan was going after uh, Rocky, and he said, "Yeah, charity hurts." So I think I'm gonna feel that June 5th in Hoboken. But we're raising money for underprivileged kids in uh, New Jersey that need it, and we got I got Irish Mickey Ward, a Boston legend, who's training me. Was up in Lowell not too long ago in Box to Burn Westford. Um, Mickey's been showing me a lot of things just to keep me afloat for three rounds and <laughs> hang in there. And uh, we're going to have Johnny Damon, Red Sox World Series hero, who's going to be in my corner. We don't know what Johnny's going to be doing. He may throw in the towel for me. We haven't figured out his role yet, but he'll be there. Tracy Morgan, Larry Holmes, Iran Barkley. We're going to have Vinny Paz, another New England legend as well. We haven't figured out what Vinny is going to be doing there. He may be drinking some. Well, who knows? But we're going to have a lot of fun. And that's what it's all about. Yeah. That's great. And, and I'll be there hopefully within the first, second, or third row. Because I want to yeah. be slapping on that mat and just screaming in your behalf. So, 
<laughs> I need Mickey. You got to be my Mickey. So everybody's got to have a Mickey in their corner. I That's right. I'd be, be like the guy Burgess Meredith, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, a good old was, classic Tony Mickey, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> Mike, um, well, we also have Grant Fuhr and his wife Lisa coming on in about 20 minutes. And um, we want to get, we want to make sure we leave them some time. But I, I need the people to hear what happened to you and how Roger Clemens somewhat saved your wife's life as well as yeah. the weatherman. And, so. and real quick before you start that story, Mike, I just want the folks at home and all of you to know, and Mike, as a, an honor to you, we are waving commercial breaks up until about, what, 9.30, 9.35, and we'll do the transition, but this That's will be great. an uninterrupted time for you. This is unprecedented. We've never done this before on The People's Truth, so it is an honor to be able to give this time to you, sir. Please, the floor is Absolutely. yours. I'll do a quick rundown. I'll try to keep this as short as I can, but just to catch people up in how I got up to New York in that building that day. I was a failed uh, football player guy, Division Three guy out of Albany, New York, uh, and played briefly with the Albany Firebirds Arena Football. Blew out my ACL, torn meniscus, uh, year and a half of rehab. So I ended up down in Tampa Bay trying to try out for the Sam Weiss-led Buccaneers, who are now in the Super Bowl coming up next week. Um, got an injury settlement. So my NFL dreams died in like 10 days, literally. Um, when I got down to Tampa, didn't have a job. A firm called Solomon Brothers uh, had moved from New York. Wall Street firm moved from New York to Tampa. And I, I got uh, my job with Solomon Brothers in 1995, uh, 96 time frame, and got uh, relocated up to New York with the Citigroup and Smith Barney merger. Ended up leaving, going to Credit Suisse First Boston, who was in five World Trade Centers. So for the viewers, for the listeners to know, there's seven buildings in the World Trade Center. It was Twin Towers, but there was, you know, three World Trade Center, four, five, six. So there was seven buildings. And I was in the top floor of five World Trade Center. My wife worked for one World Trade Center on the 100th floor uh, for Marsh McLennan. She did benefits. So she alternated between Midtown and Downtown. She was scheduled to be downtown that day to do a benefits seminar uh, and i'll get to that part in a minute so that morning average morning coming from long island i'm from brooklyn but i was living in long island at the time got on the train i was in their office by 8 30 net internet surfing checking out the monday night raw wrestling results it's a tuesday morning so i'm checking to see who won kurt angle or whoever and then i heard the big boom um shook my office or my desk is five world trade center was connected to one so one was hit first and didn't know a plane hit we didn't have tvs didn't know what exactly had happened uh looked out and honestly looked like people from the street were looking at my office and thought maybe a bomb or something but you know, the evacuation was fairly orderly. A lot of people did stay in the building, but I was down, you know, uh, within five minutes down that lobby, uh, eight, uh, eight stories, nine stories. Um, but my wife was in Tower One, as so I thought. She was on a later train, but didn't know cell phones were a new thing in 2001, at least for me. And I was trying to get into Tower One uh, when it went outside into the uh, courtyard area. Um, past the sphere, which was this uh, thing that survived the 9-11 collapse as well and got into the Tower 1 lobby. When I got into the Tower 1 lobby, all the glasses blown out by the elevators. Um, and I was trying to had a phone that I literally had just got in about three or four months earlier. So, and wasn't getting a signal. So it was a new thing and never had a problem with the phone. So went out through the mall, the World Trade Center, the old World Trade Center had a mall, which had all these the Disney stores and all that stuff. And 
I, was, I actually did the smart thing. That's when the firefighters first arrived, and I knew something was bad was in that building, but I wanted to reach my wife and find out where she was and uh, went out by the two World Trade Center side. It was a music store called Sam Goody, the old record stores. And oh, yeah. I know Liberty it well. Greenwich. Yeah. Yep. Got out by, I got out by that, by Liberty Street and Greenwich, just as the second plane, literally at like something. Think about having... One of those dreams where you're kind of frozen, you can't move. Well, I got outside and they, that second plane started barreling right above my head, literally from over the Bankers Trust building, which is 130 Liberty Street, into the World Trade Center above me. And I fell face forward, got knocked, trampled is what I kind of call it. And uh, I don't remember anything. Um, woke up um, semi-conscious in... Uh, City Hall Park. Now, City Hall Park, for people that don't know downtown Manhattan, was a good three blocks from where, and I'm six foot three, 225 pounds, 230 pounds. Now I'm 214, training for the fight, but you know, I'm a pretty big guy. Um, don't know how um, I ended up in that park where a gentleman found me and helped me get me to the emergency room, but I did get there. So the bad part of it was I was trampled on, probably left it dead, but somebody, uh, never know who that person was. There's a million stories like that. Um, I know my story is not any more unique than anybody else's, but it um, definitely got to the emergency room. And but I was in an outdoor triage that was set up uh, because the obviously the emergency room was starting to overflow. And when the Tower Two collapsed, that's the one that collapsed first. Um, you know that that cloud, that debris cloud, came right toward the Brooklyn Bridge, which the NYU downtown Beekman was right smack in the middle of. So took that. That was the scariest part for me the whole morning was not knowing uh, when that cloud, um, I was blinded for about five minutes and thinking that was the end of the world. You know, when we grew up watching that 1983 movie, The Day After, uh, that nuclear, you know, Holocaust kind of thing. That's what I thought happened. Um, and then not knowing where my wife was, not thinking when I found out the World Trade Center was hit, thinking she didn't make it. She couldn't find me. She was looking for me or trying to locate. Now, she was on a later train for people that are saying what happened to his wife. Um, she was on the 806 train leaving Valley Stream and got into Penn Station 845 going on the E train. Tell us and why she was on the late train because she was yeah. she she slept late because of what happened the night before. Ah, yeah. Thanks, Make Tony. Sure you you got to add that to the piece. <laughs> that was the theme, yes. For, I forgot this is a red Boston station. So Roger Clemens was going for his 20th win the night before September 10th, <laughs> 2001. And now this is the part of the, the story, which is incredible for any baseball fans. We got there and it was a two-and-a-half-hour rain delay. Now, that never happens. Usually a rain uh, game is called off. That game, uh, we didn't leave Yankee Stadium until about, like, after 10 o'clock or 9.30. I know we missed our train um, at Penn Station. We didn't get home till midnight. Um, I was up early enough, but she wasn't. And I think that's the – when I see Roger, I'll be seeing Roger next week at Johnny Damon's event. I tell him that story all the time. I said I wanted to see get that 20th win, but um, that was the remar remarkable part of the story with the Yankees as well. And I do a lot of stuff with the Yankees, which is another part of my charity work. So it's the irony of everything was so there. So um, so to make a long story short, you know, after um, I was in the hospital for just transferred out to Rockville Center, Mercy Medical Rockville Center for three Long Island for three or four days. Recovered physically, but the mental, you know, obviously PTSD and flashbacks and helped to start a 9-11 charity with my friend Anthony Gardner, who lost his brother, Harvey. And uh, we've been doing 9-11 charity work for a good part of 19 years, but that's only one piece now. I do a lot of other charity work, as Tony knows, helping other 
the Yankees. I do a lot of work with them and helping sports foundations. That's where I met Grant and Lisa through Johnny Damon and just have been blessed to start to pay what I've done forward to other charities and get them involved in charity day events and just helping. And, you know, I do my banking consulting job, but my real passion that I don't get paid for is charity events. And that's what I love to do. So uh, I've stayed very involved in that. And, uh, you know, I consider, and then, and I don't want to, I don't know if we, for time purposes, Tony, to fast forward to 2017. Oh yeah, do that. But you're saying you your wife wasn't even in the building. That's just to be clear. She was, she was the, safe. She was down the Penn Station somewhere or something. Well, she, she, was just, get, no, she got the Canal Street. That was a frozen zone. At the Canal Street downtown, they didn't let anybody um, down there. So she spent summertime going to St. Vincent's, took a lot of people, influx of uh, victims. And I wasn't there, obviously. Phones weren't working. I couldn't get through. She couldn't get through to me. So we didn't know. We didn't connect with each other till about 5.45 that evening. Um, and that's when they transferred me out to Long Island, um, you know, from where I was downtown. So uh, had a fractured skull, internal bleeding. Um, so, but I was taken very good care of in uh, Mercy Medical out in Rockville Center. But, you know, the, the day, the scene I saw at the downtown hospital was something out of a movie. It was a scary time and, you know, got to relive it about uh, many years later with Las Vegas. Yeah, so let's move ahead to Las Vegas and Tell us about that. Yeah. Scenario. Well, one of my best friends is Brett Raymer, who's a star of an Animal Planet show called Tanked. It was on for 15 seasons, and Brett was getting engaged for the uh, TV show um, to his uh, then fiance. Um, was out there. I go out to Vegas all the time, just happen to be out there for that event to be on TV, show my kids, hey, daddy's on a show, television program. Next day, he was in Mandalay Bay, where I always stay, and having drinks with a friend and uh, was inside uh, this candy eye bar there and um, that day was the Vegas Golden Knights had played earlier their little game my friend Stevie who was staying at the Excalibur which is literally next door I, he couldn't we couldn't find the tram there's a tram that goes to Mandalay Bay to Excalibur long story right. short we couldn't figure out where it was so I said let's go outside by the front I know you'll get there let's just go out on Las Vegas Boulevard so we're out there and that's where didn't know a country music concert was going on. Uh, couldn't even hear it, really, to be quite honest, from where we were. It's a, if you look at, when you look at it, um, where Mandalay Bay is and the concert grounds, it wasn't as close as it looked like it was. Um, and About five acres across the street. Well, it was diagonal, kind of. I mean, I know, but it. it was across the way, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was across the way. It was yeah. across the way. But from where we were, and we were by the fountains. There's fountains in front of Mandalay Bay. That's where we were, where we were walking, where we heard pop, pop, pop. And I'm thinking fireworks because, you know, we had the hockey game, the preseason hockey game earlier, but it was the second round. And this is what I've told, at least my version of the story, which everybody's got their own version of accounts, but the first round and the second round, the second round was a lot more, uh, could hear it a lot louder than the first. The first was more distant. Uh, and the second was loud, almost like he switched windows. And that's, you know, as the story goes, the shooter did switch windows. That's that's what I can tell you was the second round was very loud right above me. And I heard somebody yell sniper. Now I didn't know where sniper was coming from, but never heard bullets in my life until that night. And that, that point, my friend uh, Stevie and I, we ran back toward the uh, entrance of the Mandalay Bay where, um, and it was a scene like nobody knew anything was going on outside. It was actually people gambling and the reaction, the uh, delayed response is something I'll always remember 
not sure what happened. Uh, you know, I don't have the whole investigation in front of me, but to make a long story short, once things got um, crazy, where people started screaming, coming in from outside, trying to get back to my hotel, um, you know, room in the elevator, and uh, people were screaming bloody murder, coming in from the outside from the concert grounds. And that was the part where I was on an elevator where trying to get to my room and I thought, the shooter was, I heard this, uh, people yelling thought he was, uh, the elevator door opened and it was actually a security guy getting us off the elevator. Now we know why, because they were doing mobilizing uh, to get the shooter. Uh, but that was a scary, you know, brought back a lot of memories. I was in lockdown that whole night and, uh, just having the SWAT teams uh, continually. And, you know, I didn't sleep. You, you can imagine, um, you know, we were in the house of blues, a great restaurant. They didn't give me any Cajun food that night. Um, I wish they did. Gumbo Jambalaya would have helped, but no, nah, that was a scene like nothing else. And, you know, the funny, I always try to make a humor part of the story to give people something to laugh at because out of a traumatic situation. But that next morning, I was supposed to be going to L.A. for Scott Bayo's golf outing. And that's all I could think about was, oh, I got to get on that flight, not even knowing because I didn't know the news um, until the reports about what was really happening. And I was getting text messages and people telling me, there were multiple shooters and all this crazy stuff. See, social media wasn't around in 2001, 2017. You can imagine, you know, you go on Facebook, but it was middle of the night. And I was so, but I was having friends tell me the worst. It was one of these uh, crazy conspiracy theory things where all the casinos were, you know, so it was pretty crazy. And, uh, but I, I consider myself again, fortunate to have been, I call it resiliency, you know, taking a, uh, helped out some Las Vegas um, survivors and support groups. And part of my 9-11 organization, we help and, and connect with other, did the same thing with Parkland uh, a couple of years ago, went down there with a lot of other uh, members of other communities, Boston Marathon bombing, uh, Columbine, and we did a peer support group, Oklahoma City. We do that every year. And I just think people uh, that are survivors of uh, mass shootings or terrorist attacks, and it's just, there's a community of us out there and we all share a common thread and, uh, positivity to be there for each other, just like charity groups. We support each other. And uh, I go to Giant Damon's event. He'll come out for my event. I mean, we help each other. And, and that's what it's all about is connecting and trying to stay positive. And that's, yeah, I liked it. <clears throat> that's exactly what we do here on The People's Truth. We bring communities together and we keep the truth alive. And I just, uh, on behalf of all of us here, Mike, I mean, unbelievable. Like you said, resiliency, you know, and just the fact that you've been able to experience those things and still put a smile on your face and get through the next day and do what you got to do to keep helping others. That is nothing short of, 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 of miracle work. I mean, can't give you the tip of the cap enough, my friend. That's my therapy. You know, when I was an activist in the beginning, I can relate to Tony's uh, uh, personal situation because in the beginning I had this anger after 9-11. I want to get uh, go after who did this and uh, went down to D.C. lobbying. And I, was, I had all that anger and in, in me about what happened. And I tried to, you know, after a couple of years, I said I have to start to heal um, and start to take care of my family because I wasn't there for my family in the very beginning. My daughter was born in 2002. And I remember the first couple of years, I was always out doing something at City Hall, uh, lobbying for the World Trade Center Memorial. And uh, that's why I moved down to North Carolina, was honestly to get away from a lot of that and try to start the healing process. And the support, the support groups for me was my therapy. I couldn't go to a one-on-one -on -one psychologist, but having people that had been through something like that, I could relate, you know, Oklahoma yeah. City, um, 
what they've been through six years earlier. And now I'm able to pay it forward when unfortunately too many of these events happen these days, but True. I tell people that I can understand that there's no closure. You know, you always, you live with that every day. I'll never get my old self back, but I'm happy with my new self. And uh, that's all I can be. Yeah. Mike, I like to <clears throat> stop you there. I want to introduce Lisa. Um, yeah. I think Lisa's on the line and Lisa is, is kind of like, um, we're talking about peer support groups, and uh, Lisa and I share something. We both lost a child due to um, addiction problem. Um, I believe I'm, I'm not that familiar with Lisa's story, but um, um, most people that listen to this show know my story. So, Lisa, are you there? Yes, Tony, I'm here. Yep. So, can you hear me? Uh, I can hear you good. We can hear you loud and clear, and welcome to The People's Truth here on 95.9 WATD. Thank you. Yes. So, um, Lisa, I, I understand a little bit, but like, you know, we're both dealing with, we call it, I call it endless grief. It's just, it's there every day. You know, you can, you make the best of what you can for the day, but it's always comes back and when out when you least expect it. So, um, so why don't you go ahead and tell us a story about, uh, your, your son and what you'd like to share with us. And what we can do to prevent it from happening for others. That's what I do. I, I like to tell everybody the story because I want other families that, that don't understand opioids or, or addiction, um, what the truth really is. Go ahead, Lisa. You know, honestly, I, I, honestly, I don't know what we can do to, to stop this. It's um, the night I got... Well, let me let me start over here. Um, my son, when he was 14 years old, I think that's when it all started. Um, I was a single mother, and um, he continued to have issues with um, different. First, it was I think marijuana, but I didn't really know what was going on. Um, it, just his attitude; he would become um, very angry a lot. And um, he'd keep getting into trouble. He'd be at school and he'd get in fights at school. And I'd come to school and pick him up and um, never really knew what was going on. And um, it just kept progressing and getting worse. And he'd end up um, getting kicked out of school. And then um, I went to take him to some church groups that were for parents that didn't know how to deal with with addiction problems. And um, then I went through some tough love. I went through so many different places to try and help them and, and learn how to deal with this problem. And it just, everything I did just didn't seem to set in. Um, what I was told that he had to want to make this work in order for it to work. And he wasn't there yet. So, can you hear me? Yep, we still have you loud yep. and clear, Lisa. And, uh, <laughs> your your, your yeah. story echoes deeply to those uh, that listen here regularly on The People's Truth. Uh, obviously, th those issues are just above and beyond awful. But please continue your story with uh, how this all transfolded for you. Well, honestly, I have a feeling that this all really stemmed with the school. Um, I think that had the teachers been more aware of different situations out there. 
My son was bullied when he was in grade school. Uh, he had Tourette syndrome. And back then that was, um, gosh, I don't even remember what year it was when he was in fifth grade. He passed away when he was 33 years old. But when he's in fifth, fifth grade, he had these neurological tics. And at that time, nobody really knew what Tourette's syndrome was. And the kids would all tease him. And I remember he had a fifth grade teacher that had all the kids write a letter and send them home to me saying your son was disruptive. That's <laughs> awful. I'm so sorry that that is definitely. So, anyway. No, that is absolutely. still affects me. That, that, no worries. It absolutely. I, I hate to take, say that it should, breath. but take okay. a moment. That is absolutely not the kind of conduct that anyone expects from a, a teacher in any regard, regardless of what year this transpired. But uh, you never should have been subjected to that. And I personally would like to apologize to you and your family for that. And uh, kids can can be just downright awful sometimes, especially to the other kids. And uh, I mean, I can relate to that personally. I'm uh, much taller than most people. And as a fifth grader myself, I was about four and a half feet taller than the next kid. So you, uh, I can relate completely to that degree. And it's just terrible that that happened. But Wow. It, it, was, it was tough. I had to uh, go in to meet with his teacher. And um, he told me how disruptive my son was to the class. And my son's constant... Um, Tourette's tick was he was always grunting and um, the teacher would tell him to shut up and other kids were you know telling him to be quiet they're just he's disrupting and so the teacher would put him in the corner away from all the other students to do his work and then of course it just kept progressing where he was saying I don't want to go to school and um, I, sorry. Yeah, it's okay. Was this in the? In what state was this in, or was this in Canada? It was in California. Oh, this wow. is my son from a previous marriage. Right. And um, it was in California. Um. So anyway, can't regret it. So he. Um, so after a while. We realized I took him, I made an appointment with Loma Linda University and had him checked out with a doctor who did various tests on him to find out what the problem was. And during that time, it was a new study that came out with the City of Hope that there was this Tourette syndrome program or the Tourette syndrome is what they diagnosed him as having. And I brought it to the teacher's attention. And of course, he was clueless, didn't know what Tourette syndrome was. And he um, pretty much still treated him the same way as being disruptive to the class. And I needed to be a better parent to um, teach him how not to do these in class anymore. Well, then my son ended up getting kicked out again because he was in another fight. And I think, honestly, it was his way of disappearing. Um, he would do the drugs. And I, like I said, I never knew what he was doing. Um, it just started getting worse and worse. And um, he ended up in jail. Um, 
I found out later he had turned from marijuana to meth. And honestly, at that time, people were cutting meth with so many different chemicals from under the sink. You didn't know what you were taking. And it was becoming very, very addictive. And um, he, uh, he got hooked. So after he was in jail for several months, he got out and he was doing great. He promised he was going to stay drug free and and turn his life around. And he um, he was for a while there doing really good. And of course, he'd do it again. Go back, you know, months months later, he would go back on the drugs. But I didn't know because I wasn't really in. I mean, I wasn't into that. I didn't know what the symptoms were, so I was a little naive in the beginning. I believed him. I wanted to believe him. And, you know, he, you know, as he got older, um, he, he would disappear sometimes. He would um, start hanging out with a bad crowd. And that was another really bad thing as, you know, I tried to keep him involved in sports. I tried to keep him around a good group, but it was, it's difficult because you don't know you, you, they get in with this group that you don't know who they are. And um, my ex-husband, his father was actually a captain with the Department of Corrections. And you would think that he would have been able to do something for him, but he couldn't. No, no I mean, that's a case of somebody who went to prison for the wrong reason. He should have gone to a hospital to be treated. Absolutely. You know? And if I might <clears> just... That's a big thing because there's a stigma between <clears throat> anybody who has an addiction issues that the, the the real world doesn't know how to deal with it because that's right now the prisons are full of people who have addiction to opioids and addiction to meth. And for those that in the East Coast, we don't have as much meth. We have more opioids and heroin here. Um, but those who don't know what meth is like, when you get high on meth, it's it's a it. It, you know, it, it it's it's like having the best high on endorphins that you would you could have ever had, but the problem with meth more than anything is when when you get off of meth, uh, when meth wears off, it brings you way down into an area where you become quite depressed. You know, it's um it's it's really low and and it's really hard to come back out of it without going back to the drug again. So it's very hard to to break that break that uh that habit cycle. of meth the cycle is just brutal it okay. is and uh, just and you know, years years ago there wasn't really a lot of sources that you could go to to help you to with your if you had a child that was dealing with this so many people i think were more into for the financial part of it and and i was a single mother at the time and i didn't have the money to spend to send him to some of these big programs so i did the best that i could and he was in some he was in the salvation army treatment program he was in um, uh, various different rehab centers that um he always came out doing great he would do great for several months and uh, then he then he actually ended up meeting a wonderful woman who he married, turned his life around, was That's doing awesome. really great. And then she um, started cheating on him, and that just set him off the deep end. And he mm. ended up getting back into the drugs and drinking heavily. And that's when um, 
I got the phone call. July 8th, 2012, I got the phone call from his roommate saying they found him dead. I'm so sorry to hear that. That's, um... Yeah, that's never an easy call to receive, certainly, and uh, just to help lighten that just a little bit, uh, I'm not sure if they have a similar program in California or, or wherever the situation might be needed elsewhere, but here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, we have a program that's state-funded called the DPPC, it's the Dep- Disabled Persons Protection Committee, and what they do is anyone, so your son with Tourette's, would have been classified under ADA with with that uh, that title, and it, what this what this program does now is it protects adults with disabilities and kids from abusive acts or omissions from anyone. And it's one of those situations. I, I wish this was available for your son, Lisa, when this was happening around, because they would have done something. And like you said, his, his father at the time with his position, you would have thought something would have been able to help. What this group is made up of is active and retired state trooper detectives, and they make it their mission in life to go forth and investigate all anonymous given claims on this all it would retake is some anonymous text message or phone call just saying that there might be something happening that just shouldn't be happening such as public ridicule school abuse unchecked and, and that's just those things never should have happened like i said and i just wish that dppc was out there for your son at that time i wonder what the result would have been in life otherwise with a program such as that yeah, I, I just I think this like teacher I, was. I had no place to go. I mean, here I had a teacher mm-hmm. who was asking the students to write letters, you know, That's... about how disruptive he was and how they couldn't focus. And I'm thinking, how can this teacher do this? As a, I, know, I find they're that supposed to be, they're supposed to be protecting the kids. As a know? former human rights officer for multiple agencies, I can tell you, if I had seen that come across, I would have had that teacher's desk on display. In a museum yeah, of like, how never to operate again. Right. Yeah, it's like unbelievable. So, Lisa, one yeah. of the things that I did after my son died, he died two years after yours, was I joined a support group called Hope Floats. And I found that this is the thing that is key here is how do parents deal with the grief after a child dies? Because it's the worst thing that can possibly happen to a to a parent. Um, you know, and... And I found that being in a support group, um, I know that in California they have a group called GRASP, which stands for Grief Response After a Substance Passing. And um, being in a room with other people who had the exact same experience, I found was the best thing that happened to me. And was I was very thankful for that, that there was such a place. And I know the GRASP groups are out there. It's been a while since your son passed, so you yeah, probably, it'll be nine years July. Yeah. I'm sure like people still don't understand and that's why I, I do these shows is because I want people to understand that anybody who's lost a child never gets over it and we always... No, they don't. And, and, they, and people say some of the stupidest things to you like, oh, are you over it yet? And I would say to them, you know, my son, I didn't have a cold. It was my son who passed away. You know, you don't right. get over it, you know, and... Right. Uh, and people don't understand you still go and I decorate the grave site for Halloween, for for Thanksgiving and, and Christmas and 
I'll decorate it for Memorial Day, and you know, because uh, I want I, I I need to go there, you know, and I talk to them, and communicate, and you know, um, it just never leaves you, you know, and right. and I know when when Mike was talking about the World Trade Center, um, you know, and people who lost children there, like I I met one man who lost two relatives in the World Trade Center, and he said that the first year after the both of them died it was his wife and his brother he said it was like carrying a big boulder around his back everywhere he went for the whole year and he said now it, it was 10 years later and he said the the boulder's still there but my back's a little stronger and right. and i always remembered him as what he said you know you just learn to, to to cope a little bit better you know but it never goes away you could be in i i find sometimes when i'm in the supermarket and I see a food that my son Matt liked, you know, I'm like, it, it triggers me, you know, and I, I got to just move on quickly because I, 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 was, I used to have anxiety issues in the, in the supermarket seeing the food that he used to like because I, <clears throat> I was like you, I was a parent with custody of my two sons and um, so that, that worked, you know, so I, I was raising my two boys by myself for a while and uh, it's challenging, you know, and so uh, you have different issues, but uh, your son was a little, little different. And, you know, my son had attention deficit disorder as well and, and uh, sometimes got confused. And when he got confused, he got angry and then he'd get into trouble. And um, he had a football injury and um, they gave him oxycodones to start and then they gave him oxycontin after a, a while. And he was addicted almost immediately. And just never came off. He was on him for 15 years before he passed away, you know. My gosh. Yeah, so I can, I can feel where you are at, you know, and, you know, and we have a new president who's also lost a son in a different way through cancer, I believe, but it's still the same effect, you know, the same A thing. loss is a loss. That's right, you know, so. Never easy. Uh, so I, I really thank you for sharing your story. I, it's a... Um, it's horrendous. I just can't believe that the teacher could have been that naive and that there was nobody in the school that... Nobody recognized that and helped yeah. put a stop to it. I mean, I yeah. just that's that's something we would have formed an angry mob about here in the East. <laughs> I just find it, because that had to be in the, like the early 90s you're talking about. It, well, let's see. He passed away. He was born in 1978. Yeah, so um, maybe so middle 80s, 80s, right? Yeah, yeah so I mean... 80s. Yeah, I mean, it's still not the greatest time for educational purposes. I but, mean, but but people have Parkinson's disease, and it's a similar thing where they're twitching and they're stuttering and they're struggling to speak. You know, and it's the same thing that uh, the movie right. star guy there had it, and it was he made Michael a, J. Fox. Yeah. yeah, he made a big point of talking about it a lot. You know, and uh, it's just one of those things. And so, so we, can uh, we thank when, you for the idea of the Betty Ford Center having a charity raising money. We thought this is perfect, Be, having the charity, our beneficiary as the Betty Ford Center because of what I went through. And then of course, uh, when you speak with Grant, you'll hear a little bit about his story, but this was a no brainer for us. So we're having our charity vet, raising money for the Betty Ford Center and hopefully we can stop other, other kids from going through what my son went through. Absolutely. And if there's anything that we can ever do here at WATD, WMEX, or WBMS across our entire network platform, we will happily put it to use for you to help as many people as we possibly can. 
Thank you. Yeah. The charity is the Grant Fear Celebrity Invitational, and it's slated for April 16th and 17th in Palm Springs, California. A wonderful place to go play golf if that's what you're doing. And is there anywhere that folks can donate directly? Lisa, uh, make sure if you can hear me. Was there anywhere on their website you can donate directly to the charity? Yes, you can. You can go on and, and pull up the uh, donation form. Wonderful. I saw it earlier. Wonderful. Yeah. we well, got to go to a break there, Ben, because we need to have some time for Grant to come on. Just a moment for the transition, but before we do, I just want to say again, thank you so much, Lisa, for sharing your story. Uh, nothing short of, an, uh, of courageous on your part to be able to retell it, and obviously with such emotion and passion that you have. I just wanted to thank you for doing that. Thank you for including me. Absolutely. And like I said, we'd love to have you back on for another show in the future and, and give you the full hour to really sit and, and, and go over the details that we just don't have time to today, unfortunately. But you're more than welcome here as a friend on WATD anytime. Michael, same thing for you, our, our beginning segment. Thank you so much, Mr. Dempsey, for joining us just yep. the same. And we are going to take that quick commercial break when we come back. That's right. They alluded to it. Stanley Cup champion Grant Fuhr will be joining us here live on 95.9 FM WATD do not touch that dial welcome back ladies and gentlemen boys and girls children of all ages 95.9 FM WATD Betty Rabbi here with you with our co-host Jay guest co-host Tony LaGreca in studio. We had Michael Dempsey and Lisa Fuhr just tell their very passionate stories and to round this segment out we have one more big guest for the evening. Ladies and gentlemen Stanley Cup champion Mr. Grant Fuhr. Welcome sir to the program. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure to have you. So uh, I just want to say thank you and we have a lot of people tuning in from across uh, not only Canada, North America and the world. Uh, goalies everywhere looking up to you, my friend. Well, thank you. So, uh, obviously, we only have a, a little a little over 10 minutes at this time. I, I would love to have had more time with you. Uh, but please, just tell us, the, the charitable foundation that you guys are, uh, are working with and running right now, tell us all about it and how people can get involved with helping further your work. Well, you know, Lisa and I kind of sat and we do a lot of charity work over the course of the last oh, six, seven years where I think we traveled couple hundred days a year raising money for different charities and we thought that we should probably do something here in the valley where we live and with her losing her son me being an alumni member of the Betty Ford Center we kind of thought that it would be a perfect fit that we could one we could give back and keep money here in the valley and two it's a charity that we both believe in and actually have a real deep caring for it so the Grant Fear Foundation decided that it was probably the most fitting charity that we could come up with. Wonderful work that the center is doing as well. So well selected for sure. And how long have you been involved with the with the center? Uh, just for the last what are we year and a half in now that we've been with them. But in that time, we've I'm now on the Canadian board as well as being down here and working with the Betty Ford Center here in Palm Springs. That's wonderful. So, obviously, we so many questions I would have loved to have asked you. I'm going to narrow it down to a small window time frame here. Tell me, uh, just as a, as a Bruins fan on my end, 
Tell me the, the toughest Bruin player you ever took a shot off of. That's the only sports question I promise I'll ask you. Oh, no. But probably the, the toughest Bruin to play against was Cam Neely, but he was also the most fun guy to play against. I think that's the other thing is Cam and I kind of developed a good friendship, and I know how dead serious he was on the ice, and I also knew I could talk to him a little bit and see if I could get him off his game. So we had a lot of fun playing against each other. Well, it was certainly fun watching you guys play against each other, I'll tell you that. And uh, obviously, uh, Hall of Fame inductee, like we said, more than well-deserved. We, we just saw recently the Bruins announced that they're going to be retiring Willie O'Ree's number 22, and uh, obviously as one of the first African-Canadians to win the Stanley Cup. How does that make you feel, knowing that they're finally giving the recognition that is so sorely deserved? Oh, I think it's phenomenal. I mean, Willie's definitely deserved it. If you look back at everything he went through just to play in the National Hockey League and then what he went through to stay and play in the National Hockey League, I think it's a great honor and it's something that the Bruins have always done very well. They've always taken care of their alumni and they do a phenomenal job of that. Indeed. And he, he played with a, he was blind in one eye that a lot of people didn't know that. He didn't tell anybody, right? Until it's like, true. Until he, he never told a soul. He just went about his business and just played the game. So you, you look at the things that he went through one, going through all the different racial things that he had to go through. Two, trying to play with one eye. I mean, yeah. it's a lot of perseverance just to play a game that you love. I heard on The Current that he was, I listened to the CBC a lot, so the show The Current, I heard him on, and he said that he actually had a baseball contract with the Atlanta Braves, too, uh, the Milwaukee Braves, and he was down there in Georgia doing training, and he saw the first time he saw a sign that said, coloreds only or whites only, and... Uh, he made his decision. He was going back to hockey real quick. and uh, It didn't take long to make that decision. No, no he had never been. You know, he lived, grew up in Fredericton, I think. And so he, he just, that was it. He's never seen anything like it. And he said he didn't want any part of it. And he went back to hockey. He certain, certainly made the right decision, definitely, in those days. Oh, I'd agree with that. It, yeah. it would have been tough back in those days. Yep. Oh, certainly. Um so, uh, Grant, just real quick, the, the, the modern game today, uh, how do you think it would have fared up? When, we, when you say we compare folks from, from your prime and all the other primes that have been, because there's been so many times that are just prime players just from all over the years, how do you think the, uh, the kids would have fared in your league? Uh, you know what, it would have been a little different. There's a lot more hooking and holding. The game was a little bit meaner, but they're also bigger, better athletes now. So I would like to think that they'd have fared well in our game and we would have fared well in their game. Certainly would have been something to see. That is for sure. Now, I do have to ask you this because we're finally seeing the, the emergence of women's hockey in the NWHL. They got their bubble started at uh, Lake Tahoe just a couple of days ago. It's like the original six all over again. Have you been able to catch any of the action? I haven't caught any games yet, but I've been following it a little bit on Twitter and seeing what's going on and... I think any way that you can grow the game, I mean, in my opinion, it's still the greatest game in the world. So no, nothing on all the other sports. It's just I love hockey. So, but no, anytime <laughs> with you more. that you can grow the game, whether it's different races, whether it's men, women, I think it's fabulous. Of course. Uh, Grant, I have to tell you this, that Ben, who you're speaking with here, he has the Stanley Cup tattooed onto his arm. <laughs> Thanks, and Tony. It's, and it's about, it's about 12 inches. It goes from his elbow to his wrist. It, it and, uh, does. Uh, full, full disclosure, I've been a, a lifelong Bruins fan, a hockey fan my whole life. And uh, I was wearing Bruins jerseys back in the early 90s where uh, it was not stylish to be seen in one. 
And, uh, you know, I always said to myself, if I ever see a cup raised, I'm, I'm getting it tattooed. And then finally 2011 happened, and I looked at myself and I said, well, if you can't keep a promise to yourself, then who can you keep one to? And uh, good point. to the tattoo yeah. artist we went, and it worked out great. He also does the play-by-play on high school hockey here in Massachusetts. Yep. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We, we try to give the kids all the credit possible. And, uh, you know, it, it's been a really great experience, like you were saying, to be part of the game. It's the game that I personally love. I don't, nothing against the other sports. I, and, Tony, I know you're partial to your baseball, but I just don't think anything else holds a candle to the old uh, sticks and ice, you know. It's just the one and only. And, to see uh, the, the women's league coming out now and to see all the great advancements that have been made. And uh, it's, it's just wonderful to see, but uh, thank you for sharing your, uh, your, your insight on that. And uh, Grant, please, I'd like to give you the last couple of minutes to just tell the world anything you'd like about uh, uh, your career, your future, what you're currently endeavored in. I know we were talking about the, uh, the, the center that you've been working with and the Grand Fear Foundation, but I just want to give you this few moments that we have left here to just talk to the world, my friend. <laughs> well, just a quick moment to Tony. I love baseball too, Tony. My son actually just retired from playing independent ball, so oh. we're kind of partial to baseball in this household too. And That's awesome. Lisa's a diehard baseball fan. She knows nothing about hockey, so yeah, that makes things you'll, even you'll, better. You'll be cracked <laughs> up to hear this, that I... I won the national championship in the 70 and over division in Arizona, and I played for Red Deer, uh, Alberta. So oh, I was very a, nice. Yes, I was a have-arm, will travel, so I went to play for <laughs> Red Deer. They recruited me, so it was pretty cool. And I'm, I, I hope to be out to Palm Springs sometime and, and knock on the door if you're home someday. Uh, we'll be around, so unless we're running around raising money for charity. I mean, I think that's still our first passion, and... Once we all get through COVID and we're able to travel again on a regular basis, then we'll be back on the road again, helping out as many charities as possible. That's great. And I'm sure that's where Mike will keep your, keep your phone number because uh, he's big into oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Dempsey's still here with us, oh, folks. Yeah. He's been a trooper through this whole interview. Thank you so much. And uh, oh, it, it, I know you guys are, are good friends. So it's just been really wonderful to have all three of you here tonight and Tony of course I just wish we had more time to cram all this into one show here tonight but so much good going out into the world the positivity is positively overwhelming and I just want to thank each of you for what you do in the world I'd like to just say the community but it's the world you guys really make a difference in a great number of lives and I just want to thank you on behalf of the people and the people thank you I want to especially thanks Lisa because I know it takes a lot of courage to tell that story that she just told us. And it does. Bobby was her son's name, and we, we want to, anytime we doing any meditation or thinking, just keep Bobby in your thoughts. Appreciate you. that. Yes. We absolutely can and will do that. And uh, absolutely. So uh, once again, just want to give you guys an opportunity. Uh, Michael, if you could repeat, just where can folks go to sign up for your events coming up soon, and where can they donate to your causes? And uh, uh, Lisa and Grant, I'll ask you the same thing in just a moment. You go watch Mike fight on January, June. Yeah, YCS.org is the charity, really. That I mean, we have our September 11th Education Trust group, which we provide resources for 9-11 families and teaching that in classrooms. But the real cause I'm really focused on this year is for Jerry Cooney, my good friend, who I'm uh, going three rounds with. It's YCS.org, and uh, I think Tony plans to be there. And I'm going to have a fun night raising money for underprivileged kids. I just can't wait, just like Grant and Lisa, just getting back to the charity circuit and helping other charities. I've been blessed to have a lot of people support what I do, and I just want to pay it back and pay it forward. 
It's a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing. Thank you for doing that, Mike. Uh, folks, again, if you're just joining us, right at the tail end of everything, that was Michael Dempsey, the man, the myth, the legend himself, continuing to pioneer that path. And Lisa and Grant Fuhr, one more time, where can folks get involved at your website and where can they donate to help your cause? Uh, they can go on to the Grant Fuhr Celebrity Invitational Golf Tournament. Our website's up and running. There's a donation form there. There's still a couple of foursomes left that are available if they want to come out and play golf and enjoy some Palm Springs weather. And then other than that, it's the, what am I, Grant Fuhr Foundation. So they can go, they'll also go on that website as well. Okay. And they can see what endeavors we're heading into. Excellent. And Tony, of course, not to be forgotten, my friend, where can folks get involved with your endeavors and all the different places that you frequent to help make the difference in the world that you make? Um, donate to fedup.org. It's called feduprally.org. Short, sweet, and to the point. Yes. Love it. Love it, love it. Well, Lisa, Grant, thank you so much for joining us. Michael, again, thank you for joining us. This has been absolutely wonderful here having you on 95.9 FM WATD. And thank you again for joining us, everybody. What a show today, Ben. Very good. Indeed it was. We'll tune in next week for more The People's Truth. Stay tuned. Go nowhere, folks. Americanorama is back. Mikey G live in studio here. It's going to be spinning some of the greatest hits of all time as selected by one of the greatest DJs of all time. Oh, yeah. You heard it here first, folks. We're calling it Americanorama next. 95.9 W.A.T.D. Have a great night, everybody. WATD FM Marshfield, WBMS Brockton. The South Shore's first choice for live team coverage of breaking news, emergency traffic, and severe weather. WATD, streaming online at 959WATD.com and with your smart speaker just by saying play WATD.